welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, we have a legend in not one, but two genres in Canadian punk history. Paul McKenzie of The Real McKenzie's, also of the legendary garage rock band from Vancouver, The Enigmas. More on that in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to the email address, turned out a punk podcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on various forms of social media at Leftford Damien. If you'd like to find me or this podcast on Facebook, there is a Facebook page run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham, and, and many time guest booker as well. Uh, thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work. Um, anyway, Tristan can be reached over there on that Facebook page as well, and he'll get the message to myself. And we also post all this fun stuff that gets sent into the show on there as well. And you can find that stuff also on the Tumblr page, turnitapunk.tumblr.com, if you don't use Facebook. Like, you know, some people don't, myself included. So, you know, you're not in this alone if you don't use it. Um if you'd like to support this podcast, the best way of doing that is by uh, going over to your podcast provider of choice and subscribing to it or, or rating it or just telling all your friends about it. Let everyone you know uh, know that there's this podcast where they talk about really nerdy stuff about punk music and some other stuff too. But, you know, generally... We know, we know what our wheelhouse is here. We're not going to try and step out of it too far. Uh, and speaking of support, this show would not be possible without the kind, loving, amazing support of the fine folks at Vans. Uh, Vans came aboard a couple years ago, said, hey, Damien, don't lose money on this thing anymore. Here's a bit of money to keep this thing going uh, week to week. And also, uh, we're going to have you out for these cool parties called the House of Vans. So check out your schedule um, on houseofvans.com to find out which House of Vans are coming up there in Chicago and New York this year. It's probably going to be Papa One's other places as well. Uh, but the Chicago and the New York programming is ridiculous. Uh, coming up, Pennywise with Sick of It All. And Jay Howell's going to be doing something there. And Turnetta Punk's going to be there. That, to me, you know, that that you got to be there. So when that guest list goes up for that thing, because these are all free, by the way, uh, just go over there and and, you know, get on there. Come out. So you turn on a punk live, see Jay Howell, you know, the guy who did Sanjay and Craig, the guy who did Bob's Burgers character design, you know, the guy who did all that cool stuff for Trash Talk, you know, the, the, a, a good, good artist. And in Sick of It All, New York City legend, Sick of It All. And then Pennywise, we could all be singing Bro Him on stage together. That's what I'm talking about. We're going to be living that dream. You better believe if I'm on stage, I'm going to get that microphone. I'm going to go in the crowd with that microphone. We're all singing Bro Him together. One love, unity. All right. Anyway, on to today's show. Sorry, everyone. I'm a little exhausted. It's been kind of a crazy week. Uh, went out to 77 Fest. Had an amazing time out there. You're going to be hearing about that real soon. Spoiler alert. You're going to be hearing about all some fun stuff that went down there real soon. Uh, we also had a uh, good time going to the festival as well. My cousin, Miles. Shout out to my little buddy, Miles. Well, he's actually taller than me, but, uh, rolling with me, we got to catch up with some friends of Turn Out of Punk, Davey Havoc. We got to see, uh, Chris Gethard. These weren't recorded for episodes. We're just like, you know, hangs, but you know, I'm just 
I don't know. I don't know why I'm telling you about them, but I'm just saying that I had a good time there. <laughs> so thank you very much to 77 Festival for having me out there. Uh, what an experience, you know? Like, that was truly an amazing time getting to see, you know, uh, like, Satanic Surfers. Satanic Surfers with Rodrigo drumming and singing at the same time is one of the most physically impressive things I've ever witnessed done by a musician on stage. Like, it was spectacular. And the Rosellos and Crass, Steve Ignorant, uh, of course, from Crass with Paranoid Visions. And it was a it was an amazing time. I had a really fun time at that festival. And then, of course, AFI and Rise Against and Anti-Flag, two, three very good friends of the show. More than that. Lots of good friends of the show there. I'm exhausted. Okay. I'm not going to ramble on too much longer. Um, but I guess I should get to today's episode. Today on the show. Oh, and I also got to say, that would not be possible without the fine work of Melanie K. Melanie K got me out to 77 Festival, um, you know, and, and really put together an amazing live podcast. I did a live turn out of punk there, which you'll talk about a little bit later on. Spoiler alert again. Um and yeah, I just had an amazing experience. Um, so thank you so much to Melanie for uh, all the hard work on that. And also all the hard work on this show today, because this show was once again, thanks to my good buddy and former guest of the show, I should say. Check out her episode, a, f- a fantastic episode. Uh, but her hard work is why we have Paul McKenzie from The Real McKenzie's on the show today as well. That's right, everyone. Today on the show... It's Paul McKenzie of The Real McKenzie's. And Paul McKenzie is someone who also, you know, was a legend before fronting this legendary Celtic punk band. Like, they've been around since, like, 1990. But before that, he was the singer in Vancouver's most feared garage punk bands, The Enigmas. The Enigmas were a band that I was familiar with from comps. They have, I believe, two LPs that are both fantastic. Uh, Vancouver has that scene, you know, like that's a scene that Nardwar came out of. That's a scene that, um, the, the, well, obviously has been the evaporators came out of, but the smugglers came out of too. Uh, there's a, a real strong, awesome kind of garage punk scene, especially in that late, I'm sorry, mid eighties and right into the nineties. And I guess probably there's still stuff today. You know, I shouldn't be discounting what's happening today. There's probably still some amazing garage rock bands happening right now in Vancouver, but there's certainly a legacy that's led up to that. And the Enigmas are really one of the bands at the the kickoff of that kind of scene. And, you know, once again, it's a scene that has roots in garage rock, and we get into a lot of that on the show today. This is a fun episode. Uh, the Real Mackenzies are also a band that there are some wild stories about uh, over the years. They are the they are the wildest of all the Canadian punk bands. You know, I think, um, you know, some opinions expressed today are definitely do not reflect that of your host and the podcast. Um, certainly when it comes to some people that he's, uh, talking about, but, uh, this is a, a fun episode. So, uh, please excuse the audio quality. We were recording it backstage. So you get that authentic backstage kind of conversation feel, but it comes with the price of sometimes the audio quality suffering a little bit, you know, hearing a band sound checking and whatnot in the background. But that's why you come to Turned Out of Punk. You don't come here for some sanitized studio podcast where two people are sitting there talking about, you know, some 
whatever. No, you come to Turn Out a Punk because you know I'm going to be doing this how, however it takes to be able to nerd out with someone about some obscure-ass band that they played in prior to being in the band that most people care about. That's why you come to Turn Out a Punk. We are about the purity of obscurity here. So we're going to talk about the Enigmas and, and shit I didn't know about, the pre-Enigmas band, right now. Sit back, relax, because here's Paul McKenzie of The Real McKenzie's on Turned Out a Punk. Okay, good. Thank you. Well, you know, this is a big thrill for me to have you on the show. Cool, because, I'm thrilled too. Well, Paul, because The Real McKenzie's obviously massive fan, but The Enigmas, I think, are one of the unheralded great Vancouver kind of post first wave punk bands. Yes, people were afraid of us. Well, we're going to get into all that, but I got to start this off the way I started them all off, which is how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Um, it was with my sister, who was my my guardian, and she was born in 1944, so she was a perfectly lined. She was in her early 20s, in the early 60s. Okay. And so she and I <clears throat> experienced all of it. The first kind of punk that I ever heard, I'd have to say, was the MC5. Wow. But that was in 66. <laughs> she came home with the record and said, you got to hear this. I was six years old, but I thought I was 36 at the time. <laughs> wow. So where did you grow up? I grew up, this was in the West End of Vancouver. So where would that record like be on her radar from? Because that's like even super early to be into that as like a music fan. Was like <clears throat> um, there was a really big scene. She would go to Fourth Avenue, and there was a really big scene there. Uh, Gastown and Fourth Avenue used to be the huge mecca, and, and you could get all of that subversive information if you wanted it. Mm -hmm. And she said she just heard it. She was walking down the, down Fourth Avenue, and she heard this store playing, and she says, "Wow, that's that's I've never heard anything like that." And she went and bought it, and uh, instantly we were converted. Wow! Instant White Panthers. So, <laughs> were bands like uh, the Whalers and, and stuff coming up, or like what were some of the Vancouver bands around that time? Like that you? Well, like? I was just a little kid, yeah. so of course I wasn't really involved. The only uh, contact with music I had was through my sister, through her, through the media, the radio and shit. Yeah, you know, like I re I remember when Eeny Beeny Itsy Beeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini was a hit, <laughs> and uh, well, it's one of the other songs I heard as a kid. One Eyed, Two Toed Flying Purple People. Yeah, 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 that? yeah. And all of that stuff. Puff Magic Dragon. Uh, I wasn't so into that. Okay, yeah. Because I found out what it was about through my sister. But <laughs> <laughs> how. I love Bobby Boris Pickett. Okay. I was a really big horror movie fan as a kid. So. Mm -hmm. But anyway, yeah, that was my first contact, um, I would have to say. And then... What was that like hearing that? Because, like, you know, what you're describing, you know, like, that record is shocking and powerful to this day. You know, what was it like going from Itsy Beanie, Itsy Teeny Weenie Yellow Polka Dot Bikini to, like, to that. pick up the jam or something? Well, it was, um, of course, being so young, I... I took it, I, I heard it, but I didn't really get the message because yeah. I didn't know what was going on politically at the time. My mm -hmm. sister did, and she eventually let it trickle down in my six, little six-year-old brain. So, and so by the time the 70s rolled around, I was, we were getting into uh, 
all of the uh, the factory stuff from New York and stuff. Wow. So she was she was really subversive. She was a V-neck. Yeah. She looked like Pia Sidora. Always wore a black turtleneck. <laughs> <laughs> and had an amazing taste. Uh, yeah. You know. And I was lucky enough to be there. <clears throat> so uh, by the time I think. What was, was your first concert? Like, what was the first, like, music, live music you went to? Uh, let's see. Oh, we snuck into the cave to see, well, I think we were 11 or 12. And you could climb up the fire escape and get into the roof and hang out in the rafters and see the band. Yeah. So, uh, I think my first concert was Count Basie. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I couldn't afford anything. And yeah. There wasn't anything going on in school or anything. So. Yeah. Um, and so then, you know, the years rolled by, and all of a sudden, I uh, there were these guys from England that started um, Quintessence Records. Yeah. What they would do is import current punk 45s over and start turning on the kids. And so naturally, we started making bands of our own and that started the, the West Coast punk scene in Canada. So yeah, what was like AVEP? Is that the first, like the AV? Is that the first, like what was the first band to you that was like the first Vancouver punk band? That I saw? Yeah, like that you saw. Like, or that was, uh, even even that you heard about that was happening. I think it was called The You Jerks. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, I was impressed. Yeah. They were doing some pretty weird shit. <laughs> yeah. And, and yet they were still punk. And they got a major label eventually. Yeah. Which is amazing to think, because it is really subversive and really different. Yeah. Um, what were, there was another band I really loved called The Zealots. Okay. Um, Heather Haley was the, the lead singer, and they were, they were just uh, extremely attractive, mm -hmm. but also very motivated in, in uh, their rights and protecting themselves and stuff so <clears throat> but then the music was really good so um i could go on and on about all the excellent vancouver no let's do that stuff. please oh, okay no this is not no this is um, the bread and butter I of this show <laughs> okay of course it was brain eater there's bro oh yeah of absolutely. course doa the subhumans the uh the dish rags the what about this thing sparkling apple they look like a bunch of bikers and they had a 12 inch and an LP. Yeah, I think that was a little before punk. Okay. And I, there were the rock and roll, like there were rock and roll bands that probably, you know, I, I always thought that Slade was punk. Yeah. I mean, they, the guitar player looked like a punk all, all along. Yeah, absolutely. Alex Harvey, the sensational Alex yep. Harvey band. I mean, there were, the stuff that they were doing was along the same lines. Even bands like the Groundhogs and stuff yeah. like that. Like, it's like, oh, there's like a, you know, like a, a, like the MC5, you know, like this, this, there was this sort of like through current that was running throughout rock and roll that just seemed to galvanize punk. Yeah. punk. And I was really lucky enough. I consider myself fortunate enough to have been at the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, there was a guy on the other side of the fence called Bruce Allen. Okay. And he had all these commercial bands. And uh, so he wouldn't play any, any independent original music. It was all focused on his brands. I mean, I guess as a businessman, he couldn't be blamed for that. But what he did was killed 
potentially excellent bands in Vancouver because they just didn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. You had to get out of Vancouver if you wanted to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. And what was really cool was, of course, this was long before 9-11 and the stringent security at the border. Uh, so there were bands that would come from San Diego and every town and city up the coast and they'd all come up and down and they'd play at the club and we'd take care of them, feed them, you know, we'd stay at our houses if we had room and stuff like that. And then when we went, they would do the same for us. It was mm-hmm. really kind of cool. But uh, And that's a Vancouver invention. Like that, like you talk to bands like, I talked to Duff McKagan one time and he was talking about like people give Black Flag credit for that thing, but that's a DOA kind of convention of oh, like, yeah. building these networks. Yeah, and it, it was really kind of cool and it, it worked for a long time and then something happened. Mm. And I didn't know what happened. All of a sudden it just went away. Like that. Really? And I'm, I'm saying, I'm in shock. Like there's a vacuum there. I'm saying, what, what's going on? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until years later. And it's, it's a way that this thing works is you're either into it or you're out of it. And that's heroin. Yeah. And uh, a well-known person who was uh, affiliated with a well-known band who shall remain nameless was the one that supplied and Kids started ODing all over the place and nobody showed up at shows anymore because they were nodding on the fucking couch. And uh, so from that point on, for me, it took another dimension. I had to kickstart it in another way because I wasn't into that, mm-hmm. not at all. Mm-hmm. I was on the other side. Mm-hmm. So we got into psychedelic garage rock and all the pebbles stuff and all this stuff. And it, it helped to sort of nudge us in a different direction. And that's how the Enigmas came up. And it seems like there was like a, like Quintessence record gives way to Zulu records. And there's almost like a changing of the scene, like slow. And there's like mm-hmm. Enigmas. There's like a, a new crop of bands that almost, I don't know, did it take place in the other scene? Like how did bands like DOA and the Subhumans, were the Subhumans even still going? I guess they were, right? Uh, they, they always had a good following. Yeah. But they didn't really morph into anything. They sort of, ch- like, DOA has been the same since I first saw them at Lumberman's Yard in 1977. <laughs> they're the same. They're, the, they're DOA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Subhumans had a And that's of, good. Yeah. That's good. It's a signature. And, you know, it's like when you have a particular product, you know exactly what you're getting, and you can expect that. Well, that's the Ramones. That's yeah. like that, that sort of... Uh, you know, that's like, you know, what you what you want is the Ramones and here's what you will always get from the Ramones. Yeah. You know, I can I can really come to the defense of that. Yeah. Because I've spent hours, probably I've spent almost weeks on one piece. And this is gonna be so cool. And I've worked weeks and weeks on it, one number, and you record it and what you hear and the rest of the musicians here <laughs> is complete genius. But what your average person hears is garbage. It's in um, not so much garbage, I shouldn't say that. But they don't get it. Yeah. It's not your average music. And then I, I sat down and went, ha ha ha, wrote something on a piece of paper for five minutes, recorded it, and everybody loves it. Teenage Barnacle. I stayed on CITR charts number one for two years. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. You know, I just, I just, you know, shook up a Scrabble game, threw it on the floor, and went. 
and that was it. <laughs> and it, it took off. Ooh. And some of the ones that we really spent a lot of time on never went anywhere. Well, yeah, like, what's that band? I think they were from Vancouver, Thousand Mona Lisas. Were they never later? But they had they had a huge hit with that Alanis Morissette cover that they mm-hmm. stuck on right. as a hidden track. And then they were stuck playing that for, like, a year because that was their song. Like Don McLean with American Pie. You know, I've written yeah. other songs, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So when the uh, Enigmas formed, like, was the scene you guys were kind of drawing from, was it, like, different and removed from this punk scene that you kind of were leaving behind? Not really. It's just that I like it high energy, effervescent and sparkly. Yeah. And the people that were being involved with that at the time, you know, they would show up and stuff, but it was always, like, cool, like Sid Vicious, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And I never thought Sid Vicious was cool. Um, so we went and chose other idols. You know, we, we always loved Iggy. We always loved Bowie. We always, you know, any, anybody that's so obviously excellent, we loved. What was your first band? My first band was the Bonapartes. And did you guys record? And... No. Just a bunch of kids throwing ideas around and getting whatever garage gigs we could get at the time. Do you remember something you were like, shows with that band at all like what were who were some of the bands you were playing with or like what um were... well unfortunately none of the guys are alive anymore and uh but i loved yeah. the logo it was a skeleton with a napoleon hat on and it was all taken apart <laughs> what was the, the sound the Bonaparte. what kind of sound were you guys going for for that thing um it well it was a three chord hard hard stuff yeah. Bridge, and if we felt like we put in a modulation and then put uh, a tag on it, and that was it. So, like a lot of the bands you mentioned earlier, like Brain Eaters, and, and like, uh, th- like those seemed like they were like kind of like. They were art bands. Artier bands, yeah. like and taking they, a different approach to yeah, it. Yeah, they, they all went to Emily Carr and stuff. Yeah. And that was cool, too. Mm-hmm. I was a Brain Eater once. I was a Brain Eater when Dave Gregg and Ian Tyrells was a Brain Eater. Really? Yeah, we, that was such a good show. That's awesome. It was off the rails, that one. They're a, a fantastic band. Like, it's amazing how, like, in Canada, there's no canonization for all this incredible music, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how it's gone unnoticed myself. Yeah. Because when I go to other places in the world, mm-hmm. they, they, you know, the French, you know, their they're punk stars are, are gods. Mm-hmm. And stuff. Same with the Germans, you know? Mm-hmm. So. Or even in, even in America now, like there's like a, it seems like there's a greater appreciation for like people in hardcore bands. But like, meanwhile, like you know, DOA, like the band that invented this style of touring, is forgotten. Bands that are brain eaters, which have you know famous visual artists playing in them, are not really mentioned. It yeah. just it seems like it's something in this country. Uh, well, like say you gotta get out of it if you want to get into it. Yeah, and the, the hometown syndrome is killer there. It's mm-hmm. just killer. Like, we only do one gig a, a year there at the rickshaw. We just did it. It was sold out. It was great. But we don't... I just don't go in for that. I mean, I go out and look at other bands, but I'm not interested in the Will McKenzie's playing in Vancouver too much. Mm-hmm. If at all. Well, your hometown's the first one that turns on you, I find, yeah. in a band. Yeah, it's, it's like the Romans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Then it's like they push you out of the nest, and then it's like, don't fly, don't come back, go fly. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's really cool, because I don't mind that, because when I go to Vancouver, you know, the phone rings like, hey, Paul, that's a great band playing. I've been on the road for seven months, 
It's a great band playing down the road. Come on, let's go see it. We'll buy some drinks. I'm like, I've got a cat on my lap. Look at my hand. I'll call you later. And sometimes I can go on for months. Yeah. So. You almost need to do that when you're in a band, especially as a singer. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you need to almost recharge emotionally so you can go out there and, and bleed again for people. Yeah, well, like I said, I put it in a box and put it in the basement with big locks on it <laughs> and start my motorbikes and cars and boats up, you know, because I need that too. <laughs> Danny, this is my boy, Danny McKenzie. Hey, how's it going? How's it going, everybody? I told you I to go to the bathroom, but I see you're busy, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, there's no bathroom in here. Hey, Dan, you can come in here. Yeah, you can come in. For Christ's sake. You never know when that guy's kidding. Dan, you can come in here. We'll make some room for you, for fuck's sake. With the beers upstairs. Jesus. Come on, there's a chair over there. Right. Yeah. Right. We're just in the middle Everybody of uh, a partner. A nerdy, <laughs> a nerdy deep dive. Interview. I tell all. Lucky. Another band that I've <laughs> always wondered about that no one seems to know about from Vancouver is the Air Cuts. They had a single called Radioactivity. Yeah. And the guy sang with almost like a seemed like a, a well I don't know if it was a fake British accent but an accent. I I think he was British. Okay. Like say there was that British connection. Yeah, it's a great and, single. Uh, yeah, I remember. Like I thank those guys. I I thank uh, uh, Grant and I thank who's who's the guy, the English fellow that was Quintessence. He still hangs around. Uh, his name escapes me. But he um, on a bet he gave me a giraffe haircut in nineteen seventy six. And I shouldn't know his name. But I thank them for turning me on to bands like Ian Dury and the Blockheads. Yeah. I've never heard of them. Mm -hmm. Turns out I am the biggest fan, although I've never seen them. It's funny, I just had um, Patty Schmel from Hole on, and she was talking about growing up in Seattle and being that proximity to, to the border, being able to hear Brave New Waves. And she was obsessed with that Moo Ma D Da, like that 5440 first LPs are on yeah. and Female Hands I think is on that label but she like listed all these bands and I'm like yeah they're all on the same label it's this label like was that happening at the same time as the Enigmas were happening yeah. was that something that connected at all or is it a completely separate scene we were scene? Comple completely independent and isolated from any other thing that was going on at the time yeah it's weird how Vancouver seems like that like in Toronto it seems like there's a little more bleed over from scenes but in Vancouver it felt like everything was a lot more like separate lanes. Yeah, linear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone had their little little niche. And I mean, we were gearheads, so we didn't go to the art gallery or the, the book readings <laughs> or a lot of stuff because we were too busy writing. And, yeah. And in the summertime, it's a really great thing. It's a whole culture within itself. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so, yeah, we went the Grease Monkey Gearhead route and... Uh, I think that we were looked upon, kind of, well, I was anyway, as a thug. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, I was full of piss and vinegar, 20s, 20 years old, and, and you know, just ready to, to fly off the handle at any moment. Mm -hmm. Temperamental Scots-Irish person. Uh, I had a different concept then. Mm -hmm. So, of course, it sort of isolated us a bit. But that didn't mean we didn't rock at all. Was there, like, a point where 
you know, you thought like maybe your reputation prevented you guys from kind of hitting that next oh, yeah. level? Oh, definitely. I would say the same thing is happening today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why, why do you think it is? Just people don't want the realness? Well, I'll give it to you straight. You get these icons and they're acolytes. This little, like following them around like dust. Mm -hmm. And I just can't do that. Mm -hmm. And that's what you have to do to, to get there. Mm -hmm. So, like that. I would rather do it this way and maintain my, my integrity and my dignity. Not to say that, you know, if, if they're prepared to do that, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole, it kind of, kind of pissed me off that here we are, I've been working hard my whole life thinking that I was going to get into the big town. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's not, it doesn't work like that. You have to kiss ass and there's casting couches just like Hollywood, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm just not prepared to do anything like that. I don't believe that they deserve that part of me. I save that for my intimacy mm -hmm. or whatever. And when I respect someone, like I'll bend over backwards for a friend, no fucking problem. But to be told to do something, to make them like, oh, everybody look, he's following instructions at the party. Fuck that. Mm -hmm. That's That has nothing to do with rock and roll. So, and they're making it have everything to do with rock and roll so it's going down uh, a groove that I'm not I'm not in we're making our own groove so yeah back then you know is it the same way you guys had to make your own groove or were there other bands that you felt like no these people are on the same wavelength that we're on well it's it's becoming a lot different now because of the the whole like I had I known it was going to be so politically correct today and they've, they've got their fucking fingers on the pulse of everything um, I can sum it up with a quote that I heard the other day. It used to be, what went on the road stays on the road. You remember that? Mm -hmm. Well, now, whatever goes on the road goes on Facebook tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a totally different thing. Mm -hmm. It's definitely, it's, definitely it's, it's really funny because when I was a kid, I read 18, oh, 1984. And it's, uh, it's really coming true. And I heard that... Uh, that, um, who was it? Huxley wrote a book as well, Brave New World. Mm -hmm. And they were, they both worked for MI5 in England. And they said, later on, they said they wrote that as fiction, but actually a warning of what is going to come. Mm -hmm. And here we are. <laughs> but yeah. uh, the, the government isn't. Well, have you been to England? Of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you can't do anything on the streets there. No, CCTV is, yeah. is everywhere. It's everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. And there's that show you can watch late at night where they show how they bust people using it, and you're wow. like, wow, they can see you from, like, four miles away. Yeah. It's just like, it's like cops yeah. type show, but it's just CCTV footage. Yeah. And they showed one, and it was two kids smoking a joint, and they caught them. It looked like the camera was two miles away when it started zooming in. And then it shows the cops run in. Wow. It's like, yeah, it's it's a yeah. So it's it's really getting like 1984. Yeah, there was definitely there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of willing surveillance, you know, because now you're almost expected to put your life online. Yeah. And then there's also a lot of, you know, like just surveillance that happens. You know, like we're just, it's funny because like in the 80s, there was a point where punk was an independent economy. Yeah. Like you could be. And we were recording analog back then. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you could sell your records, which were made by someone that, you know, ran, like, everyone kind of knew everyone. It was like a little community. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, if you're putting your music out, it has to be involved with a corporation. Yeah, well, it's starting like that underground now. Yeah. More so. More so. The way that we go, I mean, we're completely under the radar. Mm -hmm. And um, we have had opportunity to, like, we play big concerts when we go to Europe and stuff, like summer festivals with, you know, 50,000 people. Yeah. Sometimes more. But um, in terms of uh, starlight, you know, the, the spotlight, we're, uh, we're kind of out of there. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like it that way. Mm-hmm. We don't have paparazzi following us around and stuff. I couldn't stand that. I ended up murdering one of them. Yeah. So, uh, oh, it changed the way you lived your life. Yeah. So I'm really quite happy at where I am right now. And I'm, like I say, I feel really blessed that I was born at the time and experienced the stuff that I have. Because we're the last of the analog generation, you know? Well, and specifically the scene you came out of, like that West Coast kind of punk scene, it's like, it's amazing all the music and all the change that came out of, you know, what is, you know, relatively speaking, a small city. Yeah. You know, like it's it's just, it's, you know, you start going through the bands, like, you know, we're talking about the, the art bands, the hardcore bands, the, the straight up punk bands, the psych punk bands, the garage rock bands, the... It's just like so much stuff. Yep. You know, no. it was, and there was a, a lot of clubs that were willing to help mm-hmm. along. You know, they would. You, uh, what was it? Um, when we first started with the Enigmas, when we did the, the circuit across Canada, it was you had to bring your own PA, mm-hmm. you had to bring your own lights, light man, sound man, load in, set up, sound check do three sets, three 40-minute sets, <laughs> and then tear down. And that was the way that, that you would tour. It was just brutal. Brutal, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's I guess the thing that, you know, because it just seems, you know, Toronto, obviously, population-wise, is a lot bigger, but it doesn't feel like there was ever that infrastructure and that, like, you were talking about, like, taking care of the bands that you had in Vancouver. Like, it seems like the bands, you know, there was camaraderie, but, like, you talk to, you know, Blue Rodeo or something, they're like, yeah, everyone was out for themselves. Like, there was like, you yeah. know, it was different, Basically. it seems. Yeah, well, we never went for uh, the CanCon stuff. We never, yeah. we never applied for any grants. Yeah. We, all of that, that SoCan stuff was, we, we, we just forgot about all of that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, but although uh, nowadays it's starting to pick up a bit mm-hmm. in terms of that stuff. Um, a lot because of the internet. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really incredible the way that uh, computer hardware has affected the music industry greatly. Mm-hmm. So much to a, to a degree that it might be harming live shows because people can just stay in the safety of their home and experience the same thing online. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, no, it's now it's it's... It's, you know, before it'd have to be a shitty bootleg from the back of the room on a camcorder. And you're like, (laughs) I think that's the band. It's like an eighth generation tape. But now it's like, there's one in the front row filming you. There's there's like eight angles. One handy. Yeah, for the whole time. Yeah. Um, The other thing that happens at a certain point, I guess, is like there's a lot of metal that happens in Vancouver. Yeah. You know, and, and a metal scene kind of starts to develop. Was that just like a natural kind of progression or is that well what happened with me was 
I we were on the road a lot, so I kind of missed out on the development of that stuff. I think I, I went to Europe for a while. The Enigmas got to tour Europe, or you just no, went? Europe just went. personally. Yeah. And uh, then I hung out in America for a while, and when I got back, it was I'd lost all my connections. So, not all of them, but that. I used to have my finger on the pulse of the music scene. Yeah. But of course, not being there, it's how it started to morph. And so I, d I didn't really have anything to, to do with the metal scene. I don't really know anything about it. Mm -hmm. So, some wild stories. I had Steve, uh, Steve McBean on one time, and he was talking about how there was a moment in metal where, like, they were like, okay, we're at war now with these Nazis and it was just like he was like he was like fights at all these metal shows it just seems like it was kind of a harrowing time to be in the scene let me get this straight uh, the Nazis were against the heavy metal guys yeah and what was this blasphemy no, was, was this in Vancouver Vancouver wow <laughs> Stephen, Stephen McBean was telling me talking about it on the show Oh, yeah, I guess they're coming from the suburbs. There's a whole contingent yeah. of them in the valley. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's well, a, I wonder what spiked their ire. I think it was what happened was it, it was Scandinavia, was when the Scandinavia. Oh, the black church. Yeah, when they, when, they went, when they went white power, uh, the color of the storms is black. Right. So they were like, well, I guess we're going to be at war with these dudes from now on. And apparently, according to McBean, it was like super violent shows for a while, and that was like really when he was like, "I can't go to these metal shows anymore because it's just too fucking gnarly." Yeah. And so you know, I guess that's Vancouver too. Well, where I come from, if there's something uh, making an infection, you tend to attack that thing, mm -hmm. and then the inf infection goes away. Mm -hmm. And that's how we dealt with with the fascists in our day. Mm -hmm. You gotta you gotta hit them hard. Mm -hmm. So they don't come back, and that and Vancouver did that yeah. <laughs> from the stories that you hear, and it's so. When you get back to Vancouver, how did you kind of like get back into a music scene? Like, how did that? Because you guys start really early. Like, I think a lot of people forget that you're going early, early '90s, right? The band starts in '91, and first records out in '90, like three. Yeah. So how did that kind of? How did you get back into it? Um, well, the Enigmas went for 10 years, mm -hmm. and it fell apart. Yeah, we just got tired of so much touring, and there was nothing except the gig money to keep us going. Mm -hmm. And one, Brian Olnek left the bass player, and a guy called Bill Barker joined, and he had these huge ideas for us. So we used a bunch of our money to build a studio in his house. And as soon as the studio was finished, he started to get all antsy and he wanted to, he, he thought he was our, our manager producer guy. And he's, one day he was pointing fingers and, and this is after the studio was done. Yeah. So um, I just had enough. The drummer and I just walked out. And we just, we didn't pursue them for the money spent or anything like that. I, I figured just having my hands washed of it mm -hmm. was worth it. Because I had other things on the bill. I didn't need that money, you know, to fuck it. Like, turn the page, get on with it. Mm -hmm. And um, that's when 
Barry Snipes with Jim Green from uh, Personality Crisis. Oh, wow, okay. And uh, um, we, we toured with DOA across Canada once. Did you guys put out a record or anything? Record? Uh, no, we didn't record it. Fuck, that sounds like... I really liked the band. Was it like a hardcore band? It, sounded- it was... It was kind of interesting. No, it wasn't hardcore. It was uh, almost uh, uh, snotty glam. Okay. Snotty black leather glam. Oh, that'd be awesome. With rock and roll, of course. Like so, pre-Black yeah. Halos, Black Halos type vibe? Something like that. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that we did one tour in the band broke up. Then I got into TT Racer. Mm-hmm. Again, with another personality crisis guitar player, Richard Dugan. And, so, did he uh, relocate to Vancouver at a certain point then? Personality crisis? He was living in Vancouver okay. for a long time. And who else did we have? Crazy Man. Uh, Bill Pro, Probert, Proban from uh, Beyond Possession. Oh, fuck, that's awesome. <laughs> um, that has a, that, there's a TT Racer record, right? Is there? No. No, really? So that never. There's yeah. a lot of recordings. We did a lot of recordings. Okay. We never put out a record. Maybe I've just heard the recording online or something. Um, it might have been a bootleg from somewhere. Okay. But um, I always wanted to say, well, let's release our own record. And you guys know we're going to LA to live in the shadow of Guns N' Roses and we're going to make it. <laughs> but I don't have any money. Have you got any money? I said, yeah, I've got some money. So we go down there and roll the dice. And it turns out that. I didn't want to be a long-haired poodle coke heroin freak. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, you, there it goes again. I mean, yeah. you gotta, you gotta fit in. You gotta play that um, game. Oh well, I don't know what would have happened. We what they're like. Yeah, we're your friends, and we were gonna do all the stuff that you do, like yeah. everyone else was doing. Yeah. But I wasn't into it. Yeah. And uh, the thing that broke that band up was my money was running out. Richard got a connection through Duff for a friend of a friend who owned a landscaping company. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I said, well, man, i got to do something. He says, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get you on and see what happens. I'll tell, I'll tell uh, Clint about you. So I, uh, he, he gives me this impossible job because, you know, he wants to keep his, his affiliation with the rock and rollers good. Yeah. So he didn't want to say no to me. Yeah. Because um, I knew Dove and blah, blah, blah. So he gives me this impossible job of uh, breaking up a very long asphalt, thick asphalt driveway. So it's not like here in Canada when you hit it, it splinters into big pieces. There it's been baking for years and years. years, and years. It's just gum. <laughs> and you got to shave it. But anyway, I did it. I got it all done. Not only did I do that, but I graded it yeah. and prepped it for the next service. And he comes back and he said, you know, he gave me a weekend to do it. He comes back and he said, who did you pay to help you do this? <laughs> I said, oh, I did it by myself. He says, you're hired. So um, I think at this time, who was it? it? Was it Reagan? No, it couldn't have been Reagan. I can't remember who was the president. But he fucked up the economy and the recession happened. Mm-hmm. And one day Clint comes out, he's from Arkansas, and he wears short, short cutoffs. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, long hair and his t-shirt and runners. I'm like, wow. wow. 
He has no friends. <laughs> <laughs> so if he had a friend, they'd tell him. But anyway, um, he comes over and he throws a shovel in a, it was at break time, a coffee break. He throws a shovel in a pile of dirt. He says, I want this dirt moved over there. And so I finished my coffee and went and grabbed the shovel and a wheelbarrow. Everybody who made a move was kept on. Everyone who stayed sitting was let go. Wow. And Richard was one of those people. Oh, shit. So he got let go, and I come back to, you stole my job. I'm like, fuck, I'm out of here. Yes. So I went back to Vancouver and made the real Mackenzie's. So that's how it all came together. So, you know, working for the best, you know, going to landscaping down there in uh, L.A. Well, you know, it's always been a, a sad fact that in between tours, we all go back to work. Yeah. Yeah, that's the reality of being in a band yeah. Yeah, so I know that, right. And in retrospect, it's, it's really good because it screws your head back on. Yeah. Because uh, you, can, you can get quite crazy, you know. Um, oh, yeah. And in terms of sleeping, you know, like we sleep like wolves. Mm-hmm. Like we, the way that we did the show last night, slept four hours, I got a couple hours sleeping in the van, and now I'm ready to go. Yeah. But it's like that back every then day. you get your... your sleep time yeah it goes, everything goes back into normal calibration mm-hmm. no it's, it's been it's been sometimes my whole tour thing goes on for years yeah what was your longest sort of like on the road period? we just finished it last year it was eight and a half months on the road for eight and a half months yeah straight off off. wow that's a yeah that's an extended tour yeah and when you were with the Enigmas, what was like, would you guys tour for like long periods of time or were they just short? We would only tour in the summertime. Okay. Because we all had jobs. Like yeah. Real jobs. Yeah. In between tours nowadays, I just take what I can get. What were the tours like back then? Like, what, what was the, the circuit like that you guys would be playing on? Like, would you play them with the Gruesomes in Montreal or like Deja Voodoo or like... This was before Deja Voodoo, I think. Okay. But I love Days Over the Oh, great band. I used to work at the Railway Club. Okay. And so I've seen all this really great stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the, one of their brothers was my teacher in high school. So I had uh, I would always ask him stories about the Gruesomes and ask him all these stories about these Montreal bands from back then and stuff like that. Yeah, nice fellows. Mm-hmm. Very nice fellows. Mm-hmm. How did... Um, like, what were the bands that were coming up? You mentioned Duff coming up. I guess, would he be coming up with the Farts or the Fastbacks? Or? Fastbacks. That's where I met him. Okay. He, he was playing the Smiley Buddha. Okay. And so what were, like, some of the other... Like, was there a lot of cross-pollination between sort of that Seattle scene and mm-hmm. the Vancouver scene? Oh, yeah. And that continues right to Real McKenzie's, because your first record comes out on a Seattle label. Yeah. And and so is that... Is it almost like functioning like one scene, in a way? Well, the way, the way that, that happened was... Um, Okay. That was IFA. Yeah, IFA. Um, we used to play Seattle quite a lot. And Seattle used to be a really happening place. Mm-hmm. It really was. We caught it in its twilight as it was just fizzling out. <laughs> now it's nothing like Vancouver. Yeah. Um, but then there were also, like, the Spits were just starting out then. Yeah. And the Briefs and uh, the Pansy Division. 
who else? Lots, lots. Of Super bands. Suckers were from there. Yeah. Oh yeah, they were starting that band. Gas Huffer. <laughs> yeah. Was Killdozer from Seattle? No, they're from no, uh, Milwaukee, I think. Okay. But I imagine they would have been coming out there. <clears throat> yeah, but that was the sort of noise that was coming out of that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there was there was a lot of that. So. The Real Mackenzies toured, and we realized we were about to explode, and the band would disintegrate, of course, in the explosion. So we we opted to record an album, just for no other reason that people it would be a, a testimony that we actually existed, because nobody would believe that. And uh, a friend of mine called Chris Basley, um, Chris Basley saw us at. Mm-hmm. He was just, he said, this is the band that I wanted. This is them. <laughs> and so we become friends, and he talked to his friend Richard, who was uh, laundering money at the time, and we went down and recorded. And that was the first album, and that was going to be the only album, but it took off. Oh, not, and that was the IFA record. Yeah. That's it's like amazing the run of great records you put out like that's the best swing and utter CP put out obviously your first record like you put out some real there's some really great stuff on that label yeah and uh, it, Tex Ass yeah yeah uh, there were a lot of bands look I don't know why he didn't do a gig with all his bands yeah probably would have been a lot of money to fly everyone yeah. in and travel but everyone in. they uh, they hated us oh really well. They would let us stay in the studio when we came down, and we were not the kind, gentle Mackenzies we are now. <laughs> and uh, the um, the sword in the heart was Dirty Kurt Robertson and a woman who shall remain nameless went upstairs into the office to do their business, and they ended up using all the paper and toner on the photocopying machine, making this low-grade pornographic photocopies, and they put them up all over the wall of the office. So when they came in that Monday morning, they said, you're, you're not on the label anymore. <laughs> and uh, I said, okay, that's okay. I mean, I got what I wanted out of it. I got an album. Yeah. So the next guy to foolishly pick us up was Joey Shithead on Seventh Avenue. <laughs> well, you must have known him, right? Like, oh yeah, yeah. I've known him since day one. Yeah, like, did you? Were, did you know him when he was when there was the skulls still? Mm. No, I didn't know him, but I saw him. Yeah, I was going to gigs then. Yeah, and what was that? There was another band, the Stiffs, that did. They're the band that did "Fuck You" originally, right? Yeah. And what were? And they became Subhumans or something. Yeah, and so. What was the, what were those scenes like back then? Like was that? Well, Wimpy Roy was still alive, mm-hmm. and although he he uh, you know he was a good scary front man, he yeah. was big and intimidating, but he was the nicest fellow. He was a really nice fellow. That's wow. Um, and of course, Jerry Useless. Yeah. And that's a whole whole story in itself. <laughs> what with direct action and all of that. Mm-hmm. And direct action directly affected the punk scene. Because when the government found out, like, oh, there's a terrorist cell in the Vancouver punk scene. Oh, yeah, they must have Because of the yeah. connection with Jerry Useless. They would come to the Smiling Buddha and Truncheon is all. Like, we're talking underage kids and stuff that were in there, too. Truncheon, everyone 
and drag us all out, throw us in the paddy wagon, and keep us in jail for the weekend. Is that kind of, do you think that affected, you talked about how the punk scene just ended and obviously heroin came in. Was, well, it, was that also tied into it? Yeah. There were, there were a few different components that helped to take it all apart. Mm -hmm. And there were those of us that just, I just, there was nothing else yeah. for me. And so it would take a lot more than that to make me stop doing it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, but this is when we started to get out of Vancouver mm -hmm. with the real Mackenzies, and we just tour everywhere, mm -hmm. um, everywhere in North America. Mm -hmm. And then uh, a little while onto it, this guy in Berlin, Kreuzberg, got wind of us, and of course, it really helps you have had recorded. And he got a hold of our records and said, "Well, what do you say you come to Europe?" And so we did, and it turned out we got along really well. Hardworking band. And no sniveling, no complaints, just fucking do the show and get on with the next one. And they love that in Germany. Yeah. That's definitely what they, they appreciate. Yeah, and uh, well, today you're going to do three shows. Yeah. You're going to do oh, for sure, tonight in, there will be. In-store acoustic, yeah. an all-ages show, and then a regular show. A radio set, yeah. And sometimes. Yeah. And if the boys were prepared to do it, I couldn't have them. Yeah, yeah. With this lineup, we're always prepared to do everything. Yeah. And with a smile. And you have to be like that. Oh, yeah. Or you won't get asked again. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I won't get asked for that light, though. No, no. I'm not too bad. No, no. <laughs> get your own fucking ice, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, with that guy. Where did, like, when you first started touring with the Mackenzies, like, what were the bands you guys were playing with on those, those early runs? Uh, well, let's see. We introduced Flogging Molly to America. Yeah. They, they backed us up on a West Coast tour. Mm -hmm. And that was when I met Gary. And I knew that as soon as I met Gary, that we would not get along at all. And we didn't. Really? Yeah. And Gary made it so that the Real Mackenzies wouldn't play America. They, we wouldn't play with them. They had all these great shows. We helped them get into America. They took off because of Gary's good business sense and connections, I guess, but we were out, out in the cold. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but that's okay, because we, we don't need Gary. Mm -hmm. We can do it on our own. Mm -hmm. But like, when you were doing those first runs, like, because you kind of built, like as you say, you, you, this, this is a scene you guys built. You know, like we didn't know we were doing it. Yeah, no, at the time. But like, what were the reaction like with the bands you're playing? Like, what kind of bands were you be playing with before this scene existed? Mahomes. We, yeah, we played with the Mahomes. Christ, what were other bands we were playing with? I mean, I, I have to confess that there's been so much water under the bridge. Yeah. That it's kind of difficult for me at times. I'd really have to think, sit yeah. and think about some of the bands that we played. Uh, the ones that come to mind, of course, are we toured with the Briefs. Mm -hmm. And those guys were excellent to play tricks on. <laughs> um, we toured with, uh, oh, we played gigs with, like, uh, uh, what was that band that Marilyn Manson got his stick off of out of Florida? Christ. From Florida? The, the Jenna Torturers. Whoa, I, I gotta check out this band. Oh, you have to. You know, Marilyn gets all these these uh, high-tech stuff going on in the, in the, uh, the stadium. Yeah. And he's got a lot of dough and a lot of people to help him do it. A lot of staff. These guys 
were in a club and they had <laughs> they worked all of it. Uh, I've never seen a band before or since, and I've seen a lot of stuff. I've never seen anything like that. Um, she had a massive gelatin dildo <laughs> with colored lights that would oscillate in the time of the music. She could turn it up and down. Uh, that was very interesting. They also had a guy with permanent holes in his hands, and every night, two, he would have uh, blood bladders taped to the backs of his hands, flesh color on the front so people wouldn't see them. They, every night they would take Jesus and, and nail him to the cross. <laughs> These two excellent hot girls dressed in latex nun outfits. And it went on. That was just a few of the things that they would do. How did you meanwhile, get hooked up with this band? Meanwhile, playing with uh, a, a great rock set yeah. all the way through. The way we got hooked up with it was we play, We were playing Jackson Hole. Okay. And we were headlining. And there were a few people that came out. Well, it's, you know, it's what helpful. And uh, so I'd never played at 8,700 feet in the air before. Mm -hmm. And we all got altitude sickness. But we didn't know what was going on. I just thought I was having a heart attack. But um, the next day, of course, because we all had altitude sickness, we slept in. And we didn't get our gear up down. I just felt horrible because I fucking hate it when other bands do that. Yeah. So we come in like, oh, sorry, sorry. And he says, yeah, you guys probably have altitude sickness. It's okay. And I thought, he said, but I want to talk to you. And I thought we were going to get a sermon. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go. And he said, the, the guys who are backing up the janitorers tonight um, got a broken axle in Texas, so they can't come. Would you guys play for the same deal tonight? So that the same deal meant, meant something like $2,000, Meals and accommodation. And I said, sure. Yeah, how can you not? Sure. We'll, we'll play tonight. And we did. And then we got to hang out with those guys. It was just crazy. Wow. Good crazy. Yeah. But of course, and she's, um, the cops came in. <laughs> and she sees the cops and she starts beckoning one of them. Very good looking woman. Uh, like a cross between. Uh, Pia Zadora and Poison Ivy. Okay. Sort of. Yeah. Anyways, he beckons a couple when he's a young guy and he's, she's just got him. And he's not going to make any report back to the office. She's, he's going to let this band play. Yeah. Yeah. And I was so funny. <laughs> Jedi mind tricked him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was, um, that was a band that we played with. And we also played with, uh, we played with especially the real Mackenzie's who on the big uh, festival shows. I sang, I want to be sedated with C.J. Ramon <laughs> in the same microphone. And he said, he said afterwards, he says, wow, you did all the backups of all the backup singers. And I know that song. I made sure I could nail it. Yeah, it's been an anthem for a long time. When did uh, you kind of realize that you guys, you know, that there was this scene kind of forming around you? Like, when did you, when did that to you? I still don't know because I'm too busy working. Mm -hmm. um, of course, management and record companies and that let us know. Um, we get to play with a hell of a lot of cool bands. We got to play with uh, with the Sweet. Mm. 
we played with Skinny Puppy, <laughs> and they backed us up. <laughs> did you ever see them early on? Yeah. Yeah, because would, they would have been. They, did they have a? Were they out of punk at all? Were they from the punk scene? Those guys or no? I think they were a little. Uh, not, not for echelon. Okay. That. They didn't start in the guy. Okay. Okay. They weren't seeing the skulls and the stiffs. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've, I've had. Uh, we played with the Cardigans in Norway. <laughs> we played with Turbo Negro. We drank with Turbo Negro. We became friends with Turbo Negro. But I, I guess, like, I could talk to you forever, and you've got to play a show tonight, but we come back at some point and do a part two with me? Oh, yeah. Because it's been a lot of fun. Paul, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the oh, show. Oh, you mean it's over? Yeah, well, because you got to get ready for a show tonight. Oh, come I on, keep a couple it, more minutes. I keep it to an hour. I promise I'll try to remember more bands. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the problem. I'm like, I could keep, I could just list off. You saw everything. You saw, like, it's like Vancouver is one of my dream scenes. Like, especially Vancouver and Seattle put together where you have, like, the fastbacks and the farts and Soldier and all that stuff happening at the same time. And then what's happening on Victoria and like no fun and there's all these like obscure bands like Toronto there's there's great stuff like I love the vile tones and stuff like that but Vancouver it's just there's just so much what stuff. about what about that band that I mean uh, I just wasn't into because of the, the lead singer just fucking gross man a bunch of fucking goofs BFGs yeah. Steve Goof. That's the reason we had no Nazis in Toronto. Actually, on the Steve McBean episode, he talks about, and, and a bunch of people have talked about that have been on here, that basically the BFGs, when they started to tour, they just beat up the same group of Nazis all across Canada. Like, Chris from Propagandi was on, and he was like, yeah, we had all these Nazis show up, and it was like, the shows were terrible for a while. And the BFGs showed up and beat up all the Nazis, and they all left town. And it was like, and then Steve McBean talks about, and then they all showed up in Victoria and Vancouver, and there was nowhere else for them to go, and then the blasphemy war starts between them and blasphemy. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it must be difficult. Maybe this would change your political agenda. I think at a certain point, you're like, oh God, if I have to be beaten up by Steve Goof one more time. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a Hard Times article. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nazi punk himself. <laughs> 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 He ran for mayor in Toronto too. He could have oh, been our mayor. Would not? have been better than Rob Ford, yeah. you know. Like it wouldn't have been, you know. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm such a good hard time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, all in all, here we are to wrap this up. Yeah, here we are. We got a great lineup. All the boys are excellent. There's uh, there very few things that I could even mention in terms of, of uh, uh, capabilities. <laughs> their uh, their manners, and uh, it's great, great records. Mm -hmm. We're looking forward to a lot of good stuff, and uh, we're gonna get crazy next album. I'll give you that warning. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get a little little crazy and uh, break away from that Ramones. You know, you don't want to be the Ramones. We don't want the, the same thing over the time. But we will stay within the. Uh, we we will have um, historical. Mm -hmm. Stuff and a couple of Scottish stories again, but they're all different. Yeah. So that that sort of helps pop it out of the groove yeah. into something else. Mm -hmm. so. Well, that's why you guys are still that band all these years later. You know, like you predate everyone, and you're still here. You know, and it's uh, I guess it's a testament of how important the band is. Well, it's just so much goddamn fun.
Yeah. Otherwise, we'd have to wait for Robert Burns Day to put our kilts on, huh? <laughs> Christ. Well, I'm looking forward to getting smashed in the face with a mic again tonight. <laughs> I just did some great demo. Check it out. Oh, yeah. I got a busted up lip. Yeah, and uh, tooth this Tooth. Chip. I got a tooth right here. Yeah, right, right on. on. That's good. That, those are those uh, those are those battle scars that we wear with pride. Oh yeah, <laughs> and everyone's saying, "Oh my God, is he going to stop the show?" Or, "Oh my God, is he going to beat the guy up?" But in a millisecond, uh, I produced because I didn't have much time between lyrics, right? Yeah. I says, "Okay, I've got this. No matter what I do, I've got it. Yeah. Even if I beat the fucking shit out of the guy, I've got, I'll look bad. Stop the show. You look bad. So just." carry on yeah as if nothing happened and it was excellent I was bleeding and I knew it yeah and everyone was offering me handkerchiefs and I just ignored them it was like that wrestling thing as soon as you put a little bit of blood there the crowd goes nuts yeah you know so a little bit of juice goes a long way and so instead of sniveling about it I'm I'm brandishing this with pride yeah everybody's looking at me like ooh he's got herpes I hope he's got a mic in the face last night, man. <laughs> and I want another one tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Matching on the other side. Because that's punk rock. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and if I'm not prepared to get a mic in the face every night, I have no business being on stage. So, that's it. And I'm looking forward to tonight. We're, we're singing really well. And uh, I'm up, I quit drinking on my birthday because I've been drinking since 1966. And I want to figure out, or just see what it's like. So you discovered the MC5 and alcohol in the same year. Oh yeah, that was it a goes big hand year. Hand. That's a big <laughs> year. That's a long party. It was good alcohol too, Guinness. So <laughs> okay, it wasn't union swap. Well, you got the best rock and roll and the best beer right, yeah. right, right off the bat, right? Oh yeah. So anyway, um, because I'm not under the influence of alcohol a lot. I'm not screaming into the night drunk, mm-hmm. and that really helps my voice. You know, I'll, I'll you know, speak softly and go to sleep, and then the next day on stage, it's really great instead of hoarse. So, um, it's great. And more boost for these guys. Yeah. You know? You know yeah, don't it waste really it helps. all. You know? It helps them. You know, really, <laughs> everything's great. But I still party. You know, it's an attitude. Oh, I know. We can party okay. our way now. Right on. So the next band is starting. This is Paul McKenzie from The Real McKenzie's with my son, Danny McKenzie. Say hi, Danny. Hi, Danny. <laughs> We're signing off. The bands are starting. Come down to the horseshoe or whatever and pluckety-cluck. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. This has been okay. awesome. Thank you, Paul, for coming on the show. And Paul will be back for a part two. You know, that'll probably be in a slightly quieter environment, hopefully, as well. But, you know, once again, you get a little bit of soundtrack in the background. You know, it's like a little bit of sound-ups. Uh, speaking of soundtracks, uh, there's playlists for this episode, as playlists for many other episodes on uh, the streaming service that I happen to get. Uh, so Spotify, but, like, you know, every other streaming service, if you're, if you're on there and you want to remake that playlist or if you can remake that playlist, please do. Um, and thank you to people that do do that on other streaming services, because I'm not choosing one or the other. I'm not sponsored by them in any way, shape or form. It's just the one that we happen to use. And so, you know, I'm making some playlists for you to check out. And once again, if you hear an artist on these playlists that you do like, recognize the fact they are getting like 
fractions of fractions of cents for that play. So please, if you see an artist on there or hear an artist, I should say, on there that you like, go out there and support them. You know, buy a shirt, buy some records from them or MP3s or, you know, however you choose to support an artist, go out and see them live, whatever. But, you know, once again, if you hear something on there you like, that's why I'm doing it. So, you know, it's all about discovering and sharing stuff. You know, it feels like I'm making mixtapes again for my friends. So... You know, and as you would do with a mixtape, you'd give it to someone, they'd hear a band they like, they'd become a fan of that band, and then they'd support that band. That's how you get to get uh, word out about stuff. Some of these are bands are broken up, but in that case, you know, track down those records from them and those shirts and stuff. Well, I guess they're not making any money that way, so anyway, find a way to support them. Anyway, what, I'm back to be being very tired, but I'm excited. I'm very excited because the reason I'm tired is because, once again, I just got back from 77 festival in montreal and heavy mtl uh the festivals with amazing lineups and also the happiest bands you will see because the catering backstage is ridiculous just unbelievably ridiculous and there were some amazing performances put on at those shows you know like i think once again you see a band that's happy well fed they're gonna go out there and and put on a good show for you and that was proven true at 77 Heavy MTL, uh, I, I feel 10 pounds heavier myself just from being back there. So uh, I, that could be also why I'm a little bit uh, sluggish today. Next week, however, this will be very different because next week I will be beside myself excited to bring to you a live from 77 Les Ministres in Montreal, turned out a punk, myself with my amazing co-host, Zach Blair from the band Rise Against, sitting down and talking to Faye from the Rosillos, talking to Spike from the Me First and the Gimme Gimmies, and talking to Don Letts of, you know, um, <laughs> like tons of, tons of amazing influences. Big Audio Dynamite. Um, but I think like, you know, you can't undercut the guy, the guy's importance to bringing reggae to a bunch of punk kids in in England, but he debates me on that. He debates me on a lot of shit next week. It is a very intensely fun conversation. Also, Faye from the Rosillos, one of the great front people of all time. Um, and one Spike returning to the show for a part two, you know, and Zach Blair joining the, I guess the four club at this point as my co-host. It is a jam packed fun episode. Please Get ready for this next week, everyone. It is a good one. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Go out there and make your own culture. Get some sleep. Everyone, please get some sleep. I'm going to hopefully be able to heed my own advice on that after this and get a little bit of sleep finally. And also, uh, sign your organ donor cards. Please, everyone, go out there and sign your organ donor cards. Thank you again to everyone um, at 77 Fest. And a big thank you to one of the coolest people I know my good friend Melanie Kay for the help with this week's episode and also next week's episode. And also what I did last weekend, you know, helped uh, with a lot of stuff recently. And my brother Tristan and Brian and Kim and, and you and I see, you know, I feel like on Romper Room when they're looking through the mirror at the end. Anyway, thank you for listening. Love you. See you next week. Bye.